So I put all my heart and soul to the extent of my family suffering. You regret that? Oh, yeah, I regret, oh, I regret it very much. Association football is the most popular outdoor sport in Britain. Thousands play and millions watch the game. Keenest of all are the youngsters, whose heroes are the famous professional footballers, and who dream of the day when they too, perhaps, may wear the colours of a famous club and hear the roar of the crowd. Um, we usually find in football that you reach very, very high peaks. You get very elated when you have a good win. Um, and there again, when you lose, um, you, you find a depression sets in and the players will have their heads down in the dressing room, be very, very quiet, or they may in fact be arguing after the game because um, it could have been very important. Players lose, lose money, they don't get any bonuses when they, when they don't win. Um, but there again, as I said, that when you do win, you, you get very, very elated and, um, you know, it's, that's the sort of pressures I like. <laughs> it's nice to be, uh, you know, happy after the game, obviously, because you can go up to the bar and, you know, you're in a lot happier mood and um, you're a lot happier when you come home to the wife. <laughs> Hi there. Welcome to another episode of Under Flat Caps and Bowl the Hats. And my marking production. My name is Dan Reed, and today we'll be discussing the life of the former QPR hero, the man who played for Fulham, Wimbledon, Bolton, and made five appearances for England, the legend that is Dave Clement. Clement, and he picked his way through Dave Clement and scored a quite magnificent goal. Still managed a little toe poke there. It came to Dave Clemens and another one for Clemens. Oh! Dave Clement was born on the 2nd of February 1948 in Battersea, southwest London, just two and a half years after the end of the Second World War. Now we often in these episodes try to provide just a little bit of context to the time period that these people were growing up in and the time period that they were born. And 1948, you can imagine being so close to the end of the Second World War, would have been a particularly significant year. And you're not wrong, I'm going to read that list of things that happened in 1948 just to give you an idea of the type of world that Dave Clement was being born into. On the 4th of January 1948, Burma gained independence from the United Kingdom. On the 30th of January, Mahatma Gandhi was assassinated. On the 15th of April, Roundtree's introduced polo mint sweets. On the 30th of April, Land Rover was first unveiled at the Amsterdam Motor Show. The 5th of July, the NHS, the National Health Service, began functioning, providing free at the point of use universal health care. July also saw the first London chapter of Alcoholics Anonymous, the end of the post-war bread rations, and London hosted the first Olympics since the 1936 Games in Berlin. 
15th of November, a young comedian called Ronnie Barker made his on-stage debut. And on the 10th of December, T.S. Eliot won a Nobel Prize in Literature. Now that is just a short list of the type of things that were going on in 1948. It was a world of great change, it was a world of great flux and uncertainty, similar to the one that we find ourselves in today. Now let's get back to Dave. And in order to do that, let me introduce today's guest. So uh, my name's Martin Percival. I'm a Queen's Park Rangers fan. Uh, in two weeks' time, it will be 50 years since I first saw my first QPR game when I was seven years old. So that's a scary thought. It was away at Middlesbrough in September 1970. Um, my dad was a lifelong QPR fan, as was his dad. So the family have been Rangers fans going back to about 1895. So people ask me, why are you a QPR fan? Basically, I had no choice. It's the family team. So I first started going to QPR regularly in 1973. Um, I was lucky. My dad was a very keen fan, as I said, and he got season tickets for me and my brother. And we were living in the north of England at the time. We were actually living in North Yorkshire, but we had season tickets for QPR, which was a pretty big deal, travelling down to London every other week. But we went to away matches as well at places like Manchester City and Burnley and Everton, Liverpool, etc., etc. So I saw Dave Clement play at a very high level, You know, he started off as a third division player, but as QPR progressed from 1967 through to 73, um, from the third division to the second division and eventually the first division. Dave was brought up in Battersea, southwest London. He went to the Battersea County School and played for Surrey Schoolboys. That was where he was spotted by Derek Healy, QPR's chief scout, who spotted Dave and signed schoolboy forms with him at the age of 14. QPR were unsure about his potential in his teenage years and Dave left school to work as a junior draftsman at Vauxhall and worked in the American Embassy in the printing department. At this time Dave wanted to set himself up with a career outside of football should his football talent not take him into the professional game. Dave signed professional forms in July of 1965. Now in July of 1965 footballers wages were slightly different to the overinflated millionaires that we see today. Wages of footballers then were around twenty to thirty pound a week, even at the highest level. Dave was signing for QPR when they were in the third division, so you can only imagine the type of money that he was being paid. Dave was just seventeen and would have to wait another two years before making his debut. And that debut came on April eighth, nineteen sixty seven, as Dave was a substitute in a five one win versus Scunthorpe United for QPR in front of 13,113 in the League Cup. Interestingly enough, Ray Clements was in goal that day, who would also later be in goal nine years later for Dave's England debut against Wales. But we'll get to that all in good time. QPR would go on to win the League Cup that year and become the first third division team to win the League Cup in English League football history. They beat West Bromwich Albion 3-2 in QPR's first ever cup final. Lazarus and Hunt! Lazarus, it's a goal! Rangers are in the lead! And Springer comes out of his goal to join in the celebration. They'll talk about this game for years and years and years. Mark Lazarus has got the winning goal. 
football ever known anything like this. A third division team has reached a cup final at Wembley for the first time. And not only one, but come back from two down to win 3-2. And there's Jim Langley, number three. And 38 has got a cup winner's medal. And all I can say to anybody is keep clear of Shepherd Bush tonight. That QPR side, which featured the great Rodney Marsh, finished top of the league that season, as well as winning the League Cup. They finished 12 points clear of second place Middlesbrough, with that man Rodney Marsh scoring 30 goals as they gained promotion to the second division. In 1967-68, the following season, QPR completed back-to-back promotions for the first time in their history, finishing second on goal difference ahead of Blackpool. Dave Clements made 30 appearances that season and had began to establish himself as a part of what would become one of the greatest QPR teams of all time. The following year, 1968-69, was Queen's Park Rangers' first season in the top flight of English football. The following season, Dave and QPR both struggled. Dave started just 17 games, although he did score his first goal for QPR on the 29th of January in a 3-2 defeat to Spurs. Interestingly enough, Dave would score his last ever QPR goal 10 years later at the same ground against the same opponent. QPR finished bottom that season and were relegated in their first ever year in the top flight. Following QPR's relegation over the next four seasons, Dave established himself as the first choice right back at Queen's Park Rangers making the number two shirt synonymous with his name. If you've never seen Dave play, you've never saw him live, you didn't see him on telly, you haven't seen any YouTube clips, you might be wondering what type of player he was. But don't worry, we've got Martin to fill us in on that. What I would say stood out for me, Dave Clement, and as I say, I've been seeing Rangers play for 50 years now, he was probably the most confident defender that I've ever seen going forward. Over the years, we've had some very good defenders, but you get them over the halfway line and they're all at sea. They haven't got a clue where they are. Dave Clement would power forward and create great goals for other players like Stan Bowles, Jerry Francis, Don Givens, etc. Great Rangers players of the mid to late 70s. Uh, But he would also score wonderful goals himself. And if anybody wants to see an example of that, if you go onto YouTube and you look up the West Ham versus QPR League Cup tie from uh, October 1976, there's a wonderful second goal that he scores for QPR. And that was very much an archetypal Dave Clement move where he took the ball comfortably in midfield and just basically ran at the West Ham defence and slotted it in from the edge of the box. He he was a first-class player, not only a great defender, but he could have probably played in a number of positions. Clement was the type of fullback who wasn't just going to stand and defend on the halfway line. He would get forward, he would bomb on, much in the attacking, free-flowing style that QPR liked to play at the time. Now, three into the 
On the 28th of April 1973, Dave Clement scored one of the most significant goals in his career in a West London derby against Fulham. The final league game of the 72-73 second division season. QPR would win that game 2-0 and that would seal their return to the first division. Their return to Division 1 was far more fruitful than the 68-69 season. In their first season back, they finished 8th and were receiving praise for their stylish, attacking, attractive football. The next portion of our story sees us enter the 1975-76 Division 1 season. And welcome again to the big match. Today, the match that mattered most yesterday in the First Division, Queen's Park Rangers against Leeds. And we start at Loftus Road, where the afternoon got off to a good start when world boxing champion John H. Stracy came out to present the Queen's Park Rangers Player of the Year award to the club's massive and popular goalkeeper, Phil Parks. So that got everyone in the right frame of mind for what promised to be the most emotional afternoon in the 80-year history of the Queen's Park Rangers Football Club. And these, then, are the Rangers players who stand so tantalisingly close to the First Division Championship. They know they've got a job to do, and that is to win today, and then hope that Wolves can beat the present leaders, Liverpool, at Molyneux on May the 4th. They know, too, how much they owe the hardcore of Rangers supporters, and now they, in turn, are pleased to show their gratitude. At the end of a phenomenal season, QPR went into their final home match on the 24th of April. 1976 against Leeds United, knowing that a win, and only a win, would put them in touching distance of their first ever First Division title. Lorimer. Oh, difficult one, back over the head there again, David Webb was there, Trevor Cherry couldn't get his uh, shot in, Francis got it away, and Rangers on the break again with McClintock, and look at the space here now for Bowles, cutting in quick. Francis is right in there, still with Bowles. He's across the goal, yes! Strand Bowles, number two. And there goes that final whistle. Rangers have got the win they wanted. And now they have to wait to see what happens when Liverpool play Wolverhampton. As the crowd come rushing on, Rangers have gone through a season in the league here at Loftus Road, unbeaten. The first time they've done that in their history. Dave Thomas getting off there, the man who scored that first vital goal for the breakthrough. QPR would win that game 2-0. And then had an agonising 10-day wait to find out if their title rivals Liverpool could do the business against relegation-threatened Wolverhampton Wanderers. Liverpool's superior goal average meant that they needed just a draw to become champions. Wolverhampton Wanderers took a shock lead that day. Steve Kinden firing them home after 15 minutes. Just into the centre circle, nodded down, comes to Richards. Kinden's moving for the return, that's a good ball, a chance here for Steve Kinden, and he makes it! And gives Wolves a lifeline. They held on for a further hour before Kevin Keegan levelled in the final 15 minutes. Under 15 minutes left and Liverpool still looking for this vital goal. Chipped up in the box, on by Josh to Keegan, and the old firm have done it. 1-1, and that will be enough. Which prompted goals from John Toshak and Alan Kennedy to round up a 3-1 win and secure the title for Liverpool, breaking Hoop's hearts. 
Neil knocking it in. Comes sideways. Toshak taking his time. But using it to perfection. 2-1. Liverpool ending the match and the season in fine style. Here's Ray Kennedy. Stepped his man quite superbly. And what a lovely left foot to make it 3-1. The cops spilling onto the pitch to celebrate the victory and the championship. And a championship won in style. When asked in an interview with Shoot what his biggest disappointment in football was, Dave Clements answered, Queen's Park Rangers losing the league championship to Liverpool in the last match of 1976. Despite that, to someone who was around at that time, I wanted to ask Martin what it was like as a QPR supporter, supporting his team through what was probably the club's greatest ever period in history. It was. We actually drove up to Liverpool because my dad couldn't stand the thought of having to listen to the match on Radio 2. So me, my brother and my dad's cousin, Peter, we drove up to uh, Wallenew. We arrived in Wolverhampton at 5.15, but would you believe, Dan, for a 7.30 kickoff, the gates were already closed. We couldn't <laughs> get in. It was amazing. There was at least 10,000 people locked out that night. It was an important game for Wolves as well because if they needed to uh, to get some points to, to avoid relegation um, and in the end they scored after 14 minutes, I think it was, Steve Kinden scored for Wolves. So they held on right through until about 15 minutes to go and then Liverpool got three goals in the last 15 minutes and that was it. So it was... Um, you know, it was it was a heartbreaking night for a thirteen year old kid. But um, yeah, my father was very philosophical. You know, he said, "What you got to remember is, I it's fifty years since I first started watching QPR, and in nineteen twenty six we had to apply for re election. So the club's come a long way in that time. And next season we're in Europe, but we, we you know, the chances are we will never come anywhere close to that happening again. Uh, but it was a great night, and I'm glad I was old enough to appreciate it at the time. If you talk to some older Rangers fans, they'll say the period from 1966 to 1968 was a great period, which it was. But, you know, that was a third division club going through and going into first division. But they got relegated in the first season in the first division. In 73, they got promoted. And, and within three years, they were runners up to Liverpool. Um, and they also had a very good UEFA Cup campaign the following season. So for me, the, the, the best period was 1973 to 1977. I think, you know, for me, for me, what was special, even as a relatively young kid, you know, I was 10 in 1973, but it was going to places like Manchester City and seeing QPR play really well there, you know, seeing them win at Goodison Park Everton in, in 1975, winning 2-0 against a very good Everton side at that time, you know, uh, and, and seeing them, you know, really comprehensively beat the likes of Liverpool, Manchester United, Everton, um, other top clubs. And the other thing was being top London club for, I think it was three or possibly even four seasons in a row, which was a big deal. You know, we were finishing above Arsenal. We were finishing above Spurs, West Ham, etc. I mean, for a couple of those seasons, Chelsea weren't even in the first division. They were a second division side. So, you know, the, the club was really, really punching well above its weight at the time. Um, and it was very memorable. But I would say for me, what excited me probably the most was the European campaign of 76-77, you know, beating people like FC Cologne 3-0 uh, at Loftus Road and um, beating Slovan Bratislava, which consisted of half the Czechoslovak 1976 European Championship winning team, um, beat them 5-2 at Loftus Road and drew 3-3 in Bratislava. You know, those were pretty memorable performances. They really were. It was very, very special. Yeah. Around that time. Dave Clement's form for QPR, his attacking style, his energy was recognised. 
with a call-up to the England national team. In an interview that he did in 1976, when asked about the call-up, he said, I was quite surprised, but it was fantastic. I could have jumped over the training ground. Dave would make a further four caps for England, versus Wales again, twice against Italy and against Holland. And Dave met his favourite player, Pele, on a tour of the USA. The following season would continue the trend for QPR, as they made it to the quarterfinals of the UEFA Cup in their inaugural year. The highlight of that season was a 3-0 win at home to the famous Cologne side, who would the next season win the Bundesliga. Dave was once again an integral part of that famous victory. Clement, oh there's a gap there. His balls. Dave was to be sent off in the away leg in Cologne and missed QPR's quarter-final exit to AEK Athens on penalties after a 3-3 aggregate score. And that was to prove to be the end of an era at Loftus Road as manager Dave Sexton left to join Manchester United. QPR struggled for the next two years and were eventually relegated in 1979. Attendances at Loftus Road dwindled and this was something that Dave actually commented on in an interview where he stated... The players are very disappointed with the crowds because we feel we are doing our bit. Really, our away support is non-existent. In 1978, Dave had his testimonial for QPR versus a Man United eleven, managed by Dave Sexton. It was the Friday evening before that year's FA Cup final and was reported to be a poorly attended match, mainly due to the disappointing season. Following this spell, Dave moved to Bolton in 1979 for a fee of £170,000 and played as part of the side including Sam Allardyce and Peter Reid. Dave and his family, Patricia and his two sons, Paul and Neil, didn't settle up north and Dave moved back down to London to join Fulham where he had a short spell before he moved on to play for Wimbledon. Well, Tommy Doherty had just been appointed as QPR manager at the very end of the 1978-79 season. Uh, we were already relegated. So um, Steve Burtonshaw, who was a former Everton coach uh, and manager, I believe, as well, was was sacked at the end of that season. Doherty was brought in. It was clear that they needed to have a bit of a clear out. My understanding is I think that Dave Clement could easily have stayed at the club if he'd wanted to, but an opportunity came up to go to Bolton. I think Bolton had just been promoted at that time. He fancied his chances at Bolton, but he had a relatively young family, as you mentioned earlier. Neil Clement and Dave and um, Paul Clement were his two sons, um, and his wife Pat Clement. She was from the London area originally, and I think the family just had difficulty settling in the Bolton area. But over the years, I have met a few Bolton fans who remember Dave Clement, and they remember him very well. And they said he was a great player at Bolton Wanderers as well. Um, but he just didn't settle particularly there. And so he ended up coming back to London and playing uh, playing for uh, Fulham and Wimbledon. They would go on to play just nine matches for Wimbledon before in October 1981, suffering a horrific broken leg. Doctors feared that the injury would end Dave's career, but Dave was resilient. And in an interview early in 1982, Dave stated that he hoped to keep on playing for a few more years. Yes, exactly. I think it was an away match at Doncaster Rovers. I believe he broke his leg, and and uh, he then, you know, unfortunately got hit by um, by a real period of depression. And I believe he thought he had cancer, and um, it, it just all went into a bit of a spiral for him. Sadly, 
I think it's very difficult, Dan, because, you know, from a young age, you've got your heart set on being a professional footballer. You know, unfortunately for an awful lot of, of, of players, you know, that ends in their teens because they're not selected. They don't mark, make it past the youth team or whatever. But then obviously there are others who do make it. They think they're going to go on to have a long and successful career. And then through injury or whatever reason, it gets it gets halted in their 20s. And it must be very, very difficult psychologically because, you know, you've lived your whole life for football and suddenly a line's drawn under it. And you must think, what on earth happens next? And, and whilst for some players they get the chance to go on to be coaches or managers or whatever, um, you know, for the vast majority, that opportunity is not there. But he was at this time looking beyond his career, looking at what he would be doing after football, as you can hear in this interview. Well, I hope I've got a few years to go. Um, I've been on quite a few business courses and I'm quite interested in catering. Um, I would like to go in, I would obviously like to stay in football but there's lots of good managers in the game who can't in fact get jobs at the moment, um, or, or have been in the game who can't get jobs at the moment. There's a lot of players who would like to stay on and there's not enough jobs to go around. Um, so I'm preparing for the future by, I've been on business courses and on catering courses, and um, I'd like to go into something like a, a wine bar restaurant or um, a sandwich bar or maybe a pub. I think it's really interesting to note at this point that Dave was the player spokesman, the union delegate for the PFA. And that essentially meant that he would represent the QPR players at PFA meetings. He would help with their contracts, help with their negotiations, speak to young players, give them advice, and generally be there as a source of reference and well-being for footballers who played for QPR. And it was clearly a role that he took seriously, as you can hear from this clip. Well, I represent the players. Um... I usually I advise all the young boys to go to um, further their education and um, if there's any problems between the players and management I, I represent the players if there are any problems. Well you probably saw from your last wage slip, I'll give you the bad news first, that uh, your union fees have been taken out of your wages, £3.25 for the year. So as soon as, um, <laughs> as soon as I get the membership cards through I'll give them to you and uh, you know, you'll have a certain number which you'll keep throughout your career. Um, no, I'm always continually sort of mentioning to players about going to school because I know at the moment all you do is think about football, don't you? Yeah. Doc? <laughs> and I know, you know, first and foremost in your mind you want to be a first division footballer but also you've got to be prepared for the worst and, you know, things can happen. You can get a bad injury early in your career and it's best to be safe and, and continue your education because even if you haven't got a certain um, career in mind it, it keeps your mind active and it, you know, um, you know, it won't do you any harm at all. Oh yes, well you can take your, um, your preliminary coaching badge and... Um On the 31st of March in 1982, at the age of 34, Dave Clement was found dead at his father-in-law's flat. After an inquest, it was deemed that the cause of death was suicide. The official verdict from that inquest deemed that a combination of Dave's worries about his career and thoughts that he may have cancer ultimately led him down a dark path to depression, which ultimately led Dave to take his own life. 
we've heard a number of times before on the Man Marking podcast how difficult it is for footballers when they reach the end of their career to transition back to a normal life. A dream that they've spent 20 years growing, 20 years achieving, can be taken away in an instant, and that's what happened for Dave. Whilst it isn't entirely clear what caused his depression, how long it lasted for, and what ultimately pushed him into suicide, it is clear that the injuries, the end of his career, took a significant and traumatic mental toll on Dave. The focus on Dave Clement's interview that we talked about earlier in Shoot Magazine when he joined Bolton. He was asked, what was the biggest drag in soccer? I think an English translation would be, what is the most disappointing thing about playing football? What's the hardest thing about playing football? Dave answered simply, injuries. I asked Martin to recall when he first heard that Dave Clement had died and what his thoughts were at the time. Well, it, it was it was a real shock. Um, I mean, he was a, still a relatively young man. He was, he was only in his early thirties at the time, and um, I remember QPR had just, um, I think, made it to the FA Cup semi final at that time. We played West Bromwich Albion at Highbury that week, and it, we just uh, heard the announcement of Dave Clement's death. I can't recall at the time if it was mentioned that he'd taken his own life. I have a feeling that actually came out later on. Uh, after the inquests and things like that. But it was a real shock because although we were obviously very, very proud of the fact that we've made the FA Cup semi-final for the first time in the club's history, um, you know, the fact that Dave Clement had died and he'd been such a stalwart, an important player of of, the, of a really important team from just a few years previously, it did take the shine off things just a little bit. I, yeah. I think when it came out, a lot of people were extremely sad that he didn't talk to people about at the club about it because he, he did occasionally go back to watch QPR games uh, when he was playing at Fulham and Wimbledon. You know, his, his wife said that his heart was always at QPR in a great many respects. And there were a number of people at the club who had a lot of time for Dave Clement. Um, and I think just a lot of people felt that, you know, if only he'd talked about it. But you hear that so on, so often, unfortunately, Dan, with people that take their own lives. People say, if only they'd talked to me about it. Um, but for whatever reason, personal pride or personality or whatever, it is a, a subject that people feel very, very difficult talking about. And I think what you've got to remember is, you know, we're talking now about the, the early 1980s. You know, unfortunately, you, you've, you've had cases like Justin Fashionu and Gary Speed and other situations since then that, that, that people are aware of have been a bit higher profile. And maybe people feel just a little bit less embarrassed about the subject and might be more willing to talk. It wasn't a subject that people wanted to talk about in the early 1980s, I'm afraid. Clements gets over a good cross. That's all I've ever wanted to do because I want to follow my dad's footsteps. And my dad ended up playing for England, he's done that five times and once to just do me. <laughs> I just want to be. The voice you just heard was that of Neil Clement, Dave's youngest son. Neil was just three when Dave died and followed in his father's footsteps, playing as a top level footballer, making over 250 appearances for West Bromwich Albion, achieving a record three promotions with the club. This clip is from a. You, <clears throat> this clip. It's from a programme called Football Dreams, a documentary that followed Neil and Jody Morris as they went through the Chelsea Academy to try and impress manager Graham Ricks. I just want to be half as good as him, even if I can do that, you know. Clement's got a bit of a thump on him. 
like the odd occasion, say when I've had a bad day or something, I think, oh, I wish he was here, you know, I had to help me, but he died when I was young, so, but I know he's there somewhere, I know he's, I know he's around watching, I know he's proud of what's going on, so, that's my dream, play for my country at like, the top level. Dave had two sons, Neil and Paul. Neil, as we've just spoken about there, a West Brom legend, and Paul, Paul Clement, who I'm sure you know as the assistant manager of Carlo Ancelotti at Chelsea, PSG, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich. He also managed Derby, Reading and Swansea City, and throughout his career has achieved honours such as the Premier League, FA Cup, Liga, Champions League, Copa del Rey and the World Club Cup. The example I can give is that we've just won the Champions League for Real Madrid and in the dressing room afterwards, some of the players are starting to say, yeah, we've got to go and do it again next year now. I mean, this hard, the champagne hasn't even been popped open yet and they're saying, now we've got to go and do it next year. And that's what the real elite are like. They're never satisfied. We've got to move on. That's not enough. What's next? What's next? That short clip was from the coach's voice and you can find the rest of it on YouTube. But that's not the only time that Paul's appeared on camera. Of course, he's appeared numerous times since his career has taken off, whilst working for Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Chelsea, some of the biggest clubs in the world. But there was a time when he was a child, and he featured alongside his dad, Dave, on a Norwegian TV programme, where they were doing a feature on the great Dave Clement. Paul? Huh? Which player is your favourite player? Uh, are you supporting Chelsea? Your father used to support Chelsea. Which, <laughs> which team? QPR. QPR. Are you watching uh, Rangers playing at home? So David Needham is your favourite player. What about your dad? Is he not a good player? <laughs> <laughs> what you can't see on the video is... When the interviewer asks if Dave is Paul's favourite player, he shakes his head. And yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. It's really sweet. And especially knowing how the story turns out, it's well worth checking that interview out. It's about 17 minutes long on YouTube. Uh, just typing Dave Clement in the search box. You've heard a few clips of him throughout this episode. But I do recommend going and watching that for QPR fans, for non-QPR fans. It gives a real insight into who Dave was, the type of person that he was, and also a little bit about what it was like to be a footballer at that time. Finally then, to sum up, I asked Martin what his thoughts were on what Dave's legacy was as a footballer, both amongst football fans in general, but especially amongst the QPR fans who adored him. You know, but if you look at all-time QPR uh, top 11s and obviously fans love to have discussions about that both online and in the pub over a beer and things like that you know invariably Dave Clement would always make the QPR top 11 when it comes to the defensive slot because he was such an accomplished player you know he he was a complete player he was an all-round player um, and you know as I said a little bit earlier 
Um, it's, in my opinion, relatively rare to see a defender that is very, very comfortable going forward and who clearly, if he wanted to, could play in another position. But Dave Clement could do that. He was an extremely competent player. Uh, and although there's not the amount of uh, TV coverage back in the 70s that there is now, fortunately, via YouTube and other places, you can go back and you can look at Dave Clement play. And I think people from a younger generation can appreciate that he really was a top-class, really, really solid quality player. He was a great player. I'd like to thank Martin Percival for his time helping me with this episode. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to Martin and to learn more about Dave Clement, who I admitted to Martin before we record the episode. Ahead of doing the research and ahead of picking somebody for this episode, I'd not actually heard Dave Clement. He was way before my time, so to have discovered him and go through some of the old YouTube clips to read stuff about his career and about who he was as a person and the legacy of his his, his two sons who I didn't realise that was who, his, who their dad was. It's been an absolute pleasure, an absolute honour. Dave Clement was a true football legend, a proper QPR legend. And I hope that you've enjoyed listening to this episode and remembering Dave. Thank you for joining us. Our next episode will be out on Monday as we speak to Tramier owners Mark and Nicola Palios. You can, as always, find us on Twitter at marking underscore man. And don't forget to use the hashtag, where's the talking lads? Thanks for listening. We've been man marking. Well, it started when um, I was playing schoolboy football. Um, I used to play football, same as most boys did at school at the time. And um, when I was playing for London schoolboys, one of the QPR scouts happened to be watching the game. And he asked me um, if I'd like to go down and train with the schoolboys in the evenings. And I've gradually over the years progressed through the junior teams, into the reserve teams, and into the first team. And things have progressed from there on. Looking and Ben should have kept that in. Clements now. He's half waiting for a whistle, I think, there. Still going on, though. And a goal! Dave Clements! So great breakthrough for Queen's Park Rangers with 25 minutes gone. The muddle over on the touchline, and I think Clement half waited and looked at the referee, thinking there might have been a handball on that touchline. No whistle was forthcoming. Clement went on his way beautifully and whacked it past Mervyn Day.